We are in Hebrews chapter 3. And as we get into Hebrews chapter 3, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about ingredients for a good heart. Ingredients for a good heart. Interesting, in this chapter 3 of Hebrews, four times in these 13 verses, um, actually 19 verses, the heart is mentioned. Four times the heart is mentioned, and then three times it talks about the hardening of the heart. Four times heart's brought up, three times it talks about hardening the heart. Now, what we're going to look at today is how to not do this, how not to have a hard heart, how to have a heart that's a good heart. And you know what? We hear that phrase all the time. Well, that person has a good heart. That person has a good heart. That person has a good heart. Hey, in our natural state, that's not a true statement for any of us. In our natural state, apart from Christ, nobody has a good heart. Did you know that? The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick who can understand it. That's our natural state. That's our natural heart. Not a good heart, a sick heart, a heart that needs help. But here's the good news. We come to Christ, and Christ gives us his Holy Spirit, and he gives us a new heart. And he starts putting a good heart in us according to his image. We're told in Ezekiel, great verses on this, moreover, this is the promise, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone, that hard heart of your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you'll be careful to observe my commands. You see that? Here's the promise. You come to Christ, and you not only get to the Holy Spirit, you get a whole new heart, because you have now the heart of Christ working within your heart. And it's wonderful. But there's stuff we need to do, according to this chapter, if we're going to maintain good hearts, and hearts like Christ. And so we're going to see that today. We're going to see a number of things teaching in this chapter on how to maintain a good heart, how to have hearts that are growing and hearts, of, hearts that are growing in Christ-likeness instead of the wickedness that's all around us. So again, let's go back to what this whole book is about. Hebrews is about that there's nothing better than Jesus. And he's building an argument, even in this chapter, that there's nothing better than Jesus. Chapter 1, he said, Jesus is better than, first of all, do you remember the prophets? Why? Because the prophets spoke long ago, but now in this present time, how does God speak? Through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus is better, because he's even better than the prophets, which the Jewish people, the Jewish Christians that Hebrews is written to, they regarded highly the prophets. Because the prophets brought the word of God to them. The prophets brought the thus saith the Lord to them. But now, in this present time, Jesus is better than the prophets because now God speaks primarily through Jesus because he is the word become flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word, logos there, means he is the communication now of God. And so he's better than the prophets. We also learn he's better than the angels. Do you remember why he's better than the angels? Because the angels are created beings, and Jesus is the creator. He is the only begotten son. So he's even, and again, the Hebrew Christians being written to regarded highly the angels. Because the angels were the ones that were messengers to God's people. But Jesus is better than the angels because Jesus, the only begotten son, is the creator of the angels. Now, we're going to see today uh, another argument that Jesus is better because Jesus is better than Moses. 
Now, this is a, a, some big shoes here because Moses, according to the Old Testament, was, was the God's people, the Jewish people's deliverer. He's the one that went to uh, Pharaoh. Moses went to Pharaoh, the most powerful leader in the world, and said, let my people, what? Go. And he delivered through, through miracles. He delivered God's people. And they walked through that Red Sea, and the walls of the sea parted. When Moses put his staff like that, the sea parted. And they walked into freedom rather than slavery. And then Moses was the one that led Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. He's the one that brought to them uh, deliverance, but also 40 years of leadership to 2 to 3 million people. God's people were led by him for 40 years. Moses is the one that spoke to the rock, and water gushed out of the rock so they wouldn't uh, die out in the wilderness because of lack of water. Moses is the one that interceded for them and stopped the plague because they were rebelling and being disobedient to God. Moses was the one that went up on Mount Sinai and God spoke to him face to face and was given the Ten Commandments. And then when he came down from Mount Sinai, he shone, his face shone because of the glory of God. He had to wear a veil. Moses was the one who is their deliverer. Moses is the one that wrote their Torah. Did you know that? The Torah is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Moses wrote all that. He wrote that for God's people. So he was highly revered and respected and regarded. But now we're going to be told in this chapter that Jesus is better than Moses. So that's the context. Let's look. And we'll learn some lessons on the heart as we go through this chapter also, as he builds, continues to build this argument that Jesus is better. Verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, if you're there, say Amen. Amen, let's go. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed, as Moses also was in all his house, for he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. By just as so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses, notice, gives some... uh, uh, some affirmation of Moses here, verse 5. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. So the argument's being built. Jesus is better than who? Moses. But let's go back to the top here, because first of all, we're going to be told who we are in Christ. Notice who we are, verse 1. We are holy brethren. We are part of God's family. And if you cried out to Christ to be your Savior and your Lord, you've been adopted into his family. You've been given his Holy Spirit to bear witness to your spirit that you're a child of God. You are a holy brethren. Actually, Jesus is calling us joint heirs with him for the rest of eternity because we're part of his family, holy brethren. But we're also people that have a, notice what it says there, a partaker of a heavenly calling. If you've come to Christ, you're not only a holy brethren or sister in Christ, but you have a calling. Did you know that? And you have a heavenly calling. Every single believer has been given spiritual gifts and has been given a calling by God to have a mission for the rest of your life for the kingdom of God. You have a, you have a calling, a calling upon your life. 
But also look what it says about Jesus. Who is Jesus? We are holy brethren. We have a heavenly calling. But Jesus is an apostle. Now, as far as I know, this is the only reference in the New Testament, Jesus being an apostle. He calls his followers, his disciples that were apostles, apostles. But Jesus is called apostle here too. You know why? Because apostle means one who is sent forth to represent another. And that's what Jesus did in coming to this world. He was sent forth by the Father to represent God. And that's why he could say to Philip, hey, Philip, in seeing me, you're seeing the Father. And if you ever have questions about who God is or what God's like, go to the apostle of Jesus Christ. Go to the one who is sent forth from the Father to represent him. And he perfectly, perfectly tells us who God is. Remember chapter 1 told us that. He is the exact representation of God. Not only is he the exact representation, he's the radiance, chapter 1 told us, of God's glory. He's the one who's sent forth from the Father to represent God here on earth. And that's why it says, and the word became what? Flesh. And he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. He is the apostle. But he's not only the apostle, according to that verse, he's the high priest of our confection. Confession. Now, high priest, interesting. High priests, their job in the Old Testament was to, uh, uh, to go and represent represent, uh, uh, represent uh, God to, or represent themselves as representatives of the people to God. And what does that mean? They would go into that holy of holy place, the high priest on, on the Day of Atonement, and they would, they would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And as they sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat, what they were doing was they were, they were bringing that forgiveness to God's people by representing the people to God, and then bringing forgiveness through on the Day of Atonement through the blood being brought to the mercy seat. So why is Jesus throughout the book of Hebrews called the high priest? Because he represented, he represented the people to God, and he brought forth his blood, and he said on the cross, it is finished, paid in full, and that's why he's our high priest. He represents us to a holy God, and he brings forgiveness to us. And it's like there's this as the high priest, he's the mediator between a holy God and sinful people through his blood being shed for our sins. And we are represented before God by our high priest, Jesus Christ. That's what it's talking about, the high priest of our confession. So he represents God as the apostle to us, but as the high priest, he represents us to God through his blood being shed for our sins. Interesting also here, it says this. Go back to verse uh, 3. It says, Moses was faithful, verse 2, excuse me, faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was in all his house, for he's been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses, again, giving credence to Moses, was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of these things, which were spoken to later. But Christ was faithful as a what? A son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence in the boast of our hope until the end. Here's the, here's the argument. It's saying Jesus is better than Moses. Even though Moses was faithful, even though Moses was a servant, we're told throughout the book of Exodus over and over and over again that Moses was faithful. And not only was Moses faithful, he spoke to God face to face. He, Moses was uh, very faithful as a servant of God, 
But Jesus is better because he wasn't just a servant. He was the builder of God's house. And he still is today, by the way. He's still the builder of this house, God's house being God's people. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I love the fact that Jesus, as the master builder, is still building the house. I don't care what this virus is doing to churches across the world. Jesus is going to keep building his house. Amen? He's the builder of this house right here, too. And don't ever, I, one, of, one of my pet peeves is when people say, hey, uh, Calvary Chapel Lexington, that's John Hoppy's church. No, it ain't. This ain't my church. Or people say, that's our church. No, it's not your church either. You know whose church this is? It's Jesus' church, because he said, I will build my church. Notice, my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. All, all, all I am and all you are is we're faithful servants, and Jesus is the builder of this place. And I like that, because ultimately, it's on him to build this church. We're just supposed to be faithful servants, and he will build this church. But here's the first heart thing I want to talk about this morning. Very important. Listen, listen. Very important. You want to have a good heart? You want to maintain a good heart? You want to be a person that has a heart of flesh, a heart that can be used by God, a heart that's a good heart, a heart of the Spirit? Here's the first thing. Faithful. We see three times, talking about Moses and Jesus, in those scriptures, it says they were faithful. They were faithful. They were faithful. And if you want to have good hearts, if I want to have a good heart, we got to be faithful. What does faithful mean? It means you're trustworthy. It means you maintain the duties that God has given you as a servant. Faithful. You know, I think one of the rewards of heaven for, for us as we faithfully serve our God is one day we're going to walk into heaven we're going to pass from this life to the next life. And I would think one of the greatest rewards in heaven is going to be hearing this from God. Well done, good and faithful servants. And then what? Enter now into the joy of your master. And I'm going to be doing cartwheels right into heaven, man. <laughs> this is awesome. I'm getting that affirmation from my Father in heaven. Well done, Good and faithful servants, enter now into the joy of your master. You know, I, I, I've been asked a lot of times, what's a disciple? And I think the, the word disciple, uh, when I'm asked that, I'll tell them the word disciple means it's a disciplined learner. It's not just a decision, it's a disciplined learner. That's a disciple. But I have another thing that I describe disciple by. It's fat. You want to be a disciple? You better be fat. What does it mean to be fat? Faithful available, and listen, teachable. You want to be, you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you've got to be faithful. You've got to be available. You've got to be teachable. And the thing I love about Calvary Chapel is we've got a lot of disciples. We're not just a decision church or a consumer church. Come and, come and just be, consume what's going No, no, no. We're not about just being here to consume. We're about here, uh, being here to be faithful servants and getting something done for the kingdom of God. We're to be like Jesus who said, I am busy about my father's business. We're going to fulfill the duties that God has given us. And we're going to serve faithfully. Because people with good hearts have faithful hearts. Amen? And let's all be living out that verse of 1 Corinthians 15, 58. That says, therefore my beloved brother, be steadfast, be immovable. 
Be always what? Abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is what? It's not a vain. You, at, heaven is watching us, and heaven wants to see that we're faithful. And we're not going to go to heaven based on what we do for God, but we will be rewarded for the rest of eternity for what we do for God here on earth. Amen? All right, let's keep going now. It's, so the first thing, you want to have a good heart, what's, what's the first thing? Faithful. Be faithful. What does faithful mean? Be trustworthy. Be, be faithful in fulfilling the duties that God has called you to do. Now like, let's go on. Verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as when they provoked me, as in the day of trials in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their what? Here's our word. In their heart. And they did not know my ways. And as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, this is Psalm 95, a quote from Psalm 95. And what it's talking about is this, it's reminiscing back to what happened in the wilderness. And you remember what happened in the wilderness with God's people? What happened was God told them, after they were delivered through the Red Sea into the wilderness, God told them, now go into the promised land. It will be a land of milk and honey. It will be a land where you'll be blessed. It will be a land where I'll give you that land. It will be yours. You'll have houses that you didn't build. You'll have livestock that you didn't earn. And God said, I will bless you there. And then they got out there. And instead of going to the promised land, they sent 12 spies and the spies went in, and they checked out the land. And they came back, and they said, yeah, that's true. This place that God has for us is a land of milk and honey. It's a land of just amazing fruit and produce and harvest. This is a great place. But 10 of the 12 spies said this. They said, but there's giants in the land. And not only is there giants, but we're like grasshoppers compared to these guys. And we'll be crushed if we go in there. And then there's two spies that were Joshua and Caleb. They said, no, God told us to go. Let's go. And unfortunately, it was democracy because <laughs> they all voted. And they said, we ain't going to go in there, those giants. There's giants in the land, and they will kill us. And so what did God do for 40 years? He let them go in circles. And it was only supposed to be an 11-day journey from the Red Sea to the promised land, and it ended up being a 40-year funeral march. And all of the hundreds of thousands of adults that didn't listen to God's voice and do what God told them to do, and they hardened their voice, or hardened their heart to God's voice, all of them, they died in the wilderness because they didn't listen to God's voice. They hardened their heart to God's voice. So here's the second thing that we're learning here from God's people. If we want to have a good heart, we've got to have a faithful heart, but we also have to have a soft heart. Soft heart. Don't harden your heart to God's voice when he tells you something to do. And listen, that's not always easy. Because sometimes, sometimes God will direct you and tell you to do things you don't want to do. And it's hard. It's hard to do things when in your flesh you don't want to do what God's telling you to do. It was hard for the Israelites. Israelites didn't want to go into a land where there was giants that they thought would just destroy them. But God told them to do it anyways. And here's what happens. When you keep your heart soft, 
Here's what happens. You get blessed for doing what God tells you to do even though you didn't want to do it. And God might be speaking to some of you today. Some of you online today too. God's been telling you to do some things. God's been telling you to forgive that person you don't want to forgive. Might be a spouse. Might be a parent that betrayed you or hurt you. Might be a friend. Might be someone at work. God's telling you, forgive as I forgive you. And you know what's going to happen if you do that? You keep your heart soft to that voice telling you to do that. Not only will you reconcile with that person, but you'll be blessed because you walked in obedience rather than disobedience and did what God told you to do. You want to get into the promises of God, you got to keep a soft heart to God's direction because that's what happens. You listen to God's direction. Don't harden your heart to it, and you do what God tells you to do, and you find blessing in that, in the, in that listening to God's voice, keeping your... Keeping your Heart soft to what God's telling you to do. Some of you, maybe online or here, some of you, maybe it's not forgiving somebody. Maybe it's doing something for God. Maybe God's giving you some gifts. Maybe God's giving you a calling in an area in your life, and you just, no, I don't want to do it. You're hardening your heart to it. Hey, listen to God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. As you listen to the voice, keep your heart soft to it, blessing follows that. Some of you, God's calling you to give and to be obedient there of giving. Listen to God's voice on that. Don't harden your heart. Do what God tells you to do. You'll be blessed for doing that. You know, I remember when um, we were pastoring in San Diego. Our first church was in Oceanside, uh, California, it's North County, San Diego. And we just got this church going. It was just, it was a brand new church. And we started when I was 24 years old. I was a senior pastor at 24 years old. Wow. I had people come to the church. Where's the pastor at? And I go, I'm the pastor. No, you're not. And, uh, but we got it rolling. And it started growing. Got up to over 200 people. And then I remember when God spoke to my heart and said, time to leave and go back to the Midwest. Where are we from? And I said, Really? And then I said, where in the Midwest? And the Lord directed us back to Wisconsin, of all places, the cheese land, home of the Packers. And I said, Wisconsin. And, and the reason why I think the Lord is directing us back to Wisconsin was because it was kind of a midpoint between Heidi's home of Iowa and my home of Chicago. And so we, we, we got directed by the Lord to go back to Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And I remember, I remember going back and then going through the first winter. I'll never forget it. We, we had spent 10 years in Southern California. All of a sudden, we're in Siberia. I'll never forget Heidi screaming one morning after we had one of the first winter nights. And I said, and I was upstairs, and it was the first thing in the morning. She's screaming. And I came downstairs, what's wrong? What happened? And she said that our cupboards, where the vegetable, the canned vegetables and stuff were at, she opened the cupboards. This is inside the kitchen, and all the cans were frozen. Never forget that. But I remember thinking, Lord, we did what you said. We, you know, and, and I battled that for a while, leaving San Diego to go to Wisconsin. But we got there, and I said, Lord, we did what you said, and we, we listened to your voice. And you know what happened the next six years while we were in Wisconsin? It was wonderful. Because we listened and we did what God told us to do, we saw dozens and dozens and dozens of college kids come to Christ, even get called into ministry, and be world changers because we listened and we did what God told us to do. And then we got this thing rolling. 
Got this church going, and it got up to over a couple hundred people, about 250 people. And I mean, it was an on-fire church. We had some incredible, you get about half your, half your congregation being college students. There's some, there's some zeal and some fire in the evangelism and the worship. And we, had, we were going, we were rolling. Just got a, just got a, a, a new, uh, or actually bought an older church, and we redid the whole older church, a walking distance from the dorms, and God was moving. You know what God did? He said, move again. I said, move where? He said, uh, South Carolina. And I said, South Carolina? I'd never really been to South Carolina. And we did some visits, did some spying work, and came down here. And I remember visiting South Carolina the first couple times and going to places like barbecue places, and people would be saying this to me, "Uh, do what now? That was the phrase I got oftentimes being from Chicago coming to South Carolina because they couldn't understand the Chicago accent. And they'd say, do what now? Say it again now? Say it again? Do what now? And then they'd be saying things like, well, we're fixing to do this. And I'm doing fixing to do what? But I remember coming down here and then I had a number of people tell me, don't, uh, you go to South Carolina and you're not from around there, no church is going to get started. And so we, we debated with this and we talked about this and God kept telling us, go, go, go to South Carolina. We did. We didn't harden our heart to that. And I, I, I battled. I was like Jacob wrestling with God for a while. But I battled. But we came down here. I think about all the blessings that have happened in the last 23 years here in South Carolina because God led us here. And we, were, we, and we came. It's wonderful. I think of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lives that have been changed through U-Turn for Christ because God, God rose that up here. I think of the hundreds of lives that have come to Christ just through the church services that we have. You know, the, I, I, I've never done a count because we don't count that, but I would say just with the baptisms we've had in the last 23 years, probably hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people have publicly professed their faith in Christ because Calvary Chapel got started here. Wonderful. But you know what? We need to learn, and I still need to learn too, when God speaks, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Listen to those still, small voices of God when he tells you to do something. And don't be like the Israelites that wandered in circles for 40 years in the wilderness because they didn't listen to God's voice and they hardened their hearts to God's voice. And we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been instructed through God's still small voice to do this or to do that, help this person, get involved in this area, use this gift, and we, we, we shut it down because it's not what we want to do. But, you know, we've also been at times listening to God's voice and we do what he wants us to do, and then what, what happens? God moves and God blesses because we keep a soft heart to what God wants us to do. Now look at verse 12, strong verses. So first thing, keep a soft heart. Second thing, uh, or no, first thing, keep a faithful heart. Second thing, keep a soft heart. Now look, look what he says here, verse 12, tough verse. Take care, brethren, lest there be any of you that have an evil and unbelieving heart and falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, lest any of you be hardened, look at the word there again, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Okay, that, what that's talking about is I'm not going to get into eternal security and uh, backslidden. And I'm not going to talk about whether a believer can lose his salvation here. That's a whole other message. 
but it is talking about falling away. And we're going to see through the book of Hebrews time after time after time, be careful and don't fall away from the living God. Now, we need to be careful too because the devil's goal is to get you to backslide away from the living God and a real living relationship with Jesus Christ. That's his goal. Every believer, he wants to get back in his grip. So the question is, how do we take care not to fall away from the living God? Well, it tells us right here. It tells us right here. And this is the third thing. We gotta keep a guarded heart. The word there, first of all, is take care. You could translate that, be careful. He who thinks he stands better take heed, lest he what? Fall. And you know, we, we all need to keep a humble spirit that says, hey, except for the grace of God, go, there go I. And we're going to be careful. We're going to be careful in our associations. We're going to be careful in our spiritual disciplines. We're going to be careful in our accountability. We're going to be careful in the places we go and the people we hang out with because we're going to take care. We're going to be careful not to fall away from the living God. But there's a couple other things in there in keeping a guarded heart. Not only you got to be careful, but look what it says. Go back. Take care, brethren, lest there be, should be any of you with an unbelieving heart and falling away from the living God. But here's the next thing. Be careful. Be careful. But it also says encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today. If you want to keep from falling away from the living God, you need to not only be careful, but you need to stay in fellowship. You stay connected. Because our fellowship stimulates one another to love and good deeds. As iron sharpens iron, so one man or so one woman sharpens one another. And we need to stay in fellowship. There's a synergy that happens as you stay closely connected in fellowship with one another. That's why, again, online audience, I'm so glad you're online and you're staying connected through online services, through Facebook Live, through what's what's it called, Zoom I, we didn't have any of this stuff when I was growing up. I'm glad we got it now because it's helping us stay connected and encourage one another daily as the day calls today. And we need to stay connected. Fellowship is our, our lifeline. I'm so excited about doing Palm Sunday next week and doing Easter services where we're together again because there's a synergy, there's a strength, there's a stimulation that comes as we stay encouraging one another day by day, day by day, day by day. Encourage one another day after day. Here's another thing we need to do if we want to keep a guarded heart. It says, for verse 14, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Now, the thing, the word there, interesting, partakers. You know what it means? I love this. It means companion of Christ. And if you want to stay away from falling away from the living God, you need to continue to be people that are companions of Christ. I love what Jesus said to his disciples. He says, I no longer call you servants. What do you say? I call you friends. That's pretty cool. We could have a friendship with Jesus Christ, a companionship with him. I love what they said about Abraham. Abraham's nickname was he was, a, he was the father of the faith of Israel, but his nickname was he was a friend of God. Isn't that awesome? That's what I want. I want to be known as a person who's a friend of God because there's power in that. 
Because Jesus said, if any man abides in me, I will abide in him, and he will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. But with Christ and having an abiding friendship with him, where we're growing in that friendship with him, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Amen? You know, I was, a few nights ago, I had one of those nights. One of those nights where I, I don't know, it was just, I couldn't sleep. And things were rattling around in my head, and I was thinking about things. It was just a few nights ago, and I had one of those nights where I couldn't sleep. So, and, and praise the Lord, I, I, you know, pretty much most nights nowadays, I'm sleeping seven, eight hours, and then I also get a nap when I watch TV with Heidi before I go to bed. So, but, but this night, a few nights ago, I, w- I just couldn't sleep. And so finally I gave it up, and I said, I'm tired of laying here. I went into a reading room where we have a library of books, and... Um, I said, okay, Lord, what's going on here? What do you want me to read? And so I went to the bookshelf, and I pulled this one book out, and the Lord directed me to this one book. It was by Mike McIntosh, and it was called uh, Falling in Love with Prayer. And I read like two or three chapters of that book, and I said, thank you, Lord. You don't want me to sleep because you wanted me to be reminded again of the importance of prayer and how I need to be a man that's falling in love with prayer again so that I can continue to up this friendship with Jesus Christ because I'm a man of prayer. And I remember in the middle of the night, I, mean, I felt like I was the only person awake in the whole world at the time. The Lord spoke to me and he said, recommit to growing in your friendship with me because that's what, that's what Christianity is all about. And listen, Christianity is not about religion, it's not about ritual, it's not about legalism, it's not about do's and don'ts. Primarily what true Christianity is all about is a friendship with Jesus Christ. And I love that fact. I love the fact that he even wants a friendship with me. The more I learn about myself, the more I don't understand why he even wants a friendship with me. But he does. And listen, he wants a friendship with you too. He wants you to have an abiding, close friendship with him on a daily basis. And that'll keep you from falling away from the living God. The thing that will guard us in our personal spiritual lives more than anything else is an abiding friendship with Jesus Christ. And God wants all, all of that uh, for us. I, when, I, when I was a young Christian, there was a guy named, by, by the name of Scott Wesley Brown. And he came out with this whole album. I love the album. And the name of the album is I'm not religious, I just love the Lord. And isn't that true? What's our greatest commandment? We see it over here, don't we, on our wall? Our greatest commandment is to love God. Love God, actually Matthew 22 says, with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the first and foremost commandment. Seconds like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But what Christianity is all about, and it says, and on these two laws, loving God and loving people, depends all the law and the prophets. And all of Christianity is about just those two things. Having a loving relationship with God Almighty through Jesus Christ and loving people. That's true Christianity. Amen? All right, let's close it up now. So it says, don't harden your hearts. And the way we don't harden our hearts and don't fall away from the living God is we take care, we're careful, we stay in fellowship, and we keep being a partaker of Christ. Now look at verse 15. While it is said, today, if you hear his voice, here it is again, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt, led by Moses... 
And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Again, the 40 years of a funeral march of all the adults dying in the wilderness. And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were, notice the word, disobedient. And so we see that we're not able to enter because of unbelief. Here's the last thing we've seen so far. We're to have a faithful heart. We're to have a soft heart. We're to have a guarded heart. But the last thing we're told here, have an obedient heart. Have an obedient heart. What does that mean? Again, it gets back to doing what God tells you to do. And I love what Jesus said about this. He said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is what? Easy, and my burden is light. God wants you to be obedient to his commandments because he knows that will bring rest. You know, I love 1 John 5, 3. It says, God's commandments are not burdensome. God's commandments are there for it to bless us. And you know what? You are not going to find rest in your life, according to these verses, until you're obedient. You're not going to have the promised land of rest until you allow Jesus to put his yoke on you and you are obedient to what he tells you to do and you're led by him. And as you're led by him and you're obedient, it says right here, you're going to find rest. Find rest for your souls. It's wonderful. And that's been true for my life. And I've been in both camps. I've been in the obedient camp and I've been in the disobedient camp. I've been in the camp that's doing what God's telling me to do. And I've been in the camp where I've been backslidden and I've been doing disobedience. And you know what? You know what I find? The times when I'm living to what God's telling me to do and I'm being obedient to his word and living by his word, I have more peace in my life than any other time in my life. And as a Christian... When I'm disobedient and I'm not doing what God's telling me to do, I'm miserable. I don't have peace. Why is that? It's called the Holy Spirit's conviction. And the Holy Spirit will convict you until you get back to obedience. Because his job is to convict us in regards to sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. Right? So if you want more peace, I think if you want more happiness... Let Jesus' yoke be on you where he is leading and guiding your life and you'll find rest for your souls. I look like what St. Augustine said. I, uh, he basically said, I, I find my rest. There's no rest. I can only find rest when I find my rest in you, oh God. That's where rest is found, peace, as we're obedient to him. So what are the four things? What are the four things that need to be in our hearts if we're gonna have good hearts? Number one, faithful hearts. What's faithful mean? Trustworthy. You're doing your duties, what God calls you to do. Number two, if we're going to have good hearts, we need to keep a what? Soft heart. And what is a soft heart? You're listening to what God's telling you to do. And you're keeping open to his voice in your life, his still small voice. You're keeping soft hearts to his voice in your life. Number three, guarded heart. What does that mean? You're careful. You're careful to guard your heart. I love Proverbs 4.23. It says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Careful. And we're not only careful, we stay in fellowship, 
and we stay people that stay connected, and we stay people that also are partakers of Christ. We're building that friendship with Christ, and that will keep our hearts in such a way that we're being careful, and we have hearts that are guarded. Lastly, what's the fourth thing? Obedient hearts. And we, we do what God's called us to do, because we find rest in that obedience. So let's get back to the main argument for this whole book. Nothing is better than Jesus. Jesus is better than anything. That's so true. Jesus is better. And I was remembering the, uh, a, a pastor's conference I was at several years ago, and one of the main speakers was Don McClure. Don McClure has been at our men's conference a number of times. He's one of the first disciples under Pastor Chuck in the Calvary Chapel movement. He goes back to 1972, being an intern at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. And he was sharing with us as Calvary Chapel pastors about this issue that nothing's better than Jesus. And I'll never forget what he had to say to us. He said that he went through a whole period of time. He's got like three sons. And one of his sons, actually Mike McClure, uh, went into disobedience. And his son, living in his house, probably, I'm guessing, maybe 18, 19, 20 years old, just totally rejected the Christianity that he'd been raised in. And he went back to a disobedient heart, an evil heart, an unbelieving heart, to the point that he got involved with all kinds of drugs and started doing cocaine and all kinds of craziness. And this is why Don McClure is a Calvary Chapel pastor. So you know what Don McClure had to do with his own son? You got to go. And he had this talk with his son, and he said to Mike McClure at the time, he said this, hey, um, I love you, son, and I will always love you as a dad, but you got to go because your heart's not right, and you're living in total disobedience to the God that we raised you with. And he kicked him out of his own house. And he said, but and as his son was packing up his stuff and leaving, he said this, he said, son, I want to tell you something. And that is there's nothing better than what you were raised in, and that's Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than Jesus. And son, let me tell you something too. You can go out there, you can go to the craziness, the immorality, the drugs, and everything you're being involved with, and go full force into that. But I want, you, I want to tell you something. If you find something better than Jesus in that stuff, I want to know. Everything we've taught you and everything we raised in, I'm convinced there's nothing better than Jesus. But if you find something better than Jesus, let me know. Someone was gone for six months. Don prayed every day. His wife prayed every day for their son. Prayed that God would save his life. They, they prayed that his son would come back and repent and get right with God. He didn't. Month after month after month after month. And then six months into the fiasco of his son just disappearing off the radar, derailed, didn't even know where he was at. Nighttime, the door, someone's knocking on the front door in the middle of the night. Go to the front door. <laughs> he opens the door. Guess who it was? It's Mike McClure, his son. And he was crying. He said, Dad, you're right. There's nothing better than Jesus. And Dad, I want to come back to Jesus because I've been out there for six months and I have done everything and anything to find something better than Jesus and I can't find anything better than Jesus. 
And he just broke down crying, and Don was crying. His wife came, and they were all crying. They brought him back in the home, and he got back on track. He got back to having, as we talked about this morning, he got back to having a faithful heart, to having a soft heart, to having a guarded heart, and having an obedient heart. And you know what? That same guy, you know what he's doing now, Mike McClure? He's pastoring the church that his dad was a pastor at the time when this was happening, Calvary Chapel, San Jose. And now he's the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel, San Jose. Isn't that cool? God can do amazing things when we get to that point of having soft hearts, of having good hearts, of having obedient hearts, of being careful with our hearts, guarding our hearts, having repentant hearts. God can do amazing things in us and through us. But let's be those people, faithful, soft-hearted, guarded hearts, and obedient hearts. Amen? Let's pray, church.